Diversity Beyond the Checkbox is your trusted podcast for meaningful conversations. And now there's a new way to dive deeper. Visit our new website, beyondthecheckbox.com. It's loaded with podcast episodes, valuable resources, and even exclusive bonus content. Learn more and join the movement. Check out beyondthecheckbox.com today by clicking the link in the show notes. Now let's get to the episode. You're listening to the Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast, brought to you by the Diversity Movement. I'm your host, Jackie Ferguson, author, speaker, and human rights advocate. On this show, I'm talking to trailblazers, game changers, and glass ceiling breakers who share their inspiring stories and insights on business, inclusion, and personal development. Thank you for downloading this episode. I am truly grateful for you. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Diversity Beyond the Checkbox. This is the first of three love episodes. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with four amazing men who are married to incredible women. These guys I admire and respect, and we share a genuine friendship and affection. So guys, thanks for being with me tonight. Glad to be here. Thanks, thanks. Later in the year, I'll be doing an episode with women married to men. And then I'll be doing an LGBTQ plus episode as well. But today, the guys are in the hot seat to answer all the questions I have about love. Guys, if you'll please introduce yourself, tell us a little about you and how long you've been married. Grant, we'll start with you. Uh, I'm Grant Willard. I've been married uh, 40, 46 years. I had my first date with Laura 50 years ago this Valentine's Day. Oh, I love yeah. that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so uh, Laura and I have been together a while. Um, we've got two great kids. Daughter is on uh, the faculty of NC State, and I have a son that's in the software business in um, in uh, Oakland, California. I founded two companies. Um, that's actually how I got to know Donald, um, which is really good. A couple years ago, I retired, um, spending a lot of time on a bicycle, and Laura and I are traveling a lot these days. Thank you, Grant. I'm so glad that you're here. Kurt, would you like to go next? Absolutely. Uh, Kurt Merriweather. Uh, been married for 20, I got to do the math now, 27 years uh, to Valerie and uh, have four kids, uh, two girls, two boys, uh, one a college graduate and uh, Caleb pursuing her master's, uh, one senior in high, a senior in high school. Senior in college, I'm in uh, mm-hmm. denial mode here uh, at NC State, and uh, a couple of uh, high schoolers, uh, Ellis and Reese. And you know, I count myself fortunate to found. You know, my people talk about soulmates. It's true in this case, and so I'm I'm fortunate that I found someone to help me be a better person, and really excited about talking about that today. Uh, as far as uh, a few things about me, uh, I've had a career that's kind of uh, been eclectic, worked at Procter & Gamble and some other brands that you might recognize at Discovery and, and AOL. Was uh, fortunate to uh, be part of the team that co-founded the diversity movement. So excited to join with many of you who've all been here for that ride. Uh, I am a patent holder. 
Uh, I am a graduate of the Ohio State University and uh, also uh, went to Stanford uh, Business School. And so uh, fortunate, though, a lot of that was possible because of Valerie support. And so uh, we'll talk about that as we get into it. Love it. Thanks, Kurt. Bob? Hey, everybody. I'm Bob Batchelor, and I'm just going to preface this by saying I cannot talk about how much I love my wife, Suzette, without tearing up. And fun fact, Jackie and I have not been on a podcast in the last year where one of us has not cried. So I'm putting the odds <laughs> on me. I'm definitely going to lose it at some point. I've been married to my wife, Suzette, for uh, it'll be five years in June. So it's been honestly the best five years of my life. And I already felt the first little wave of tears. So I'm going to back <laughs> off that. Um, about me, I uh, by day, I am the director of PR and publications for the diversity movement. By night, I am an intrepid scribe writing best-selling cultural history and biography, uh, won a couple of book awards, um, write about things like Stan Lee and uh, George Remus, the Bourbon King, and other things. So I'm a storyteller and uh, looking forward to this journey with, with all my good friends here. Thanks, Bob. Don? Donald Thompson, um, let's see, been married going on five years. And uh, what'll be interesting is my gorgeous wife is our host today. And uh, so shout out there. So my answers will be uh, live and uncut, but we will see uh, if there are any downstream impacts <laughs> that, that I share. No sleeping uh, on the couch tonight, Don. I, yeah, that's exactly a promise. Right. Yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> Uh, we always joke. She's like, get out of this house. I was like, this is a big ass house. I'm not going anywhere. I'll go downstairs. <laughs> um, but uh, let's see. I would consider myself at this point a serial entrepreneur. Uh, one of the things I learned from Grant is that you could help people grow things financially, but really chase adventures by taking an idea and commercializing it. And quite frankly, I think I've become addicted to doing that. Um, and, and just seeing that process develop. And so I like to start businesses and, um, and really build teams. The businesses are really a byproduct of getting another chance to build high-performing teams and see what that looks like. But uh, I have four kids, uh, two, uh, three daughters, uh, Mariah, Sierra, and Diana, and, uh, and David is the, is the, uh, uh, is the son uh, of the crew. And so, yeah, enough about me, but I uh, look forward to being here and uh, excited. Thanks, Don. And Bob, you have two daughters as well. I'll give you a space for that. Yeah, it's been a trepidatious kind of time with my kids lately. They're both wonderful young women who are trying to find their way in the world in college. And it ain't easy, as we all know, who know college students and have college students. It ain't easy to be in a college student in today's world. Um, so I have uh, Sophie, who is a sophomore at Appalachian State, and Cassie, who is a freshman at Miami University in Ohio. Awesome. All right, guys, let's jump into some of these questions. The first one is, how did you know that your wife was the one, and when did you know it? Don, you got to start this one. 
Um, you know, before we got together romantically, uh, Jackie and I worked together for many years. And so I got to see her commitment. I got to see the quality of individual, the way that she took care of her, not just her daughter, but anyone in her circle that she loved. And I went through a, a divorce um, in 2014 that was aggressive, uh, is what I would say. And not so much because the divorce was contentious, but because that was a real point of failure. It was a real point of, um, it was one of the low points of my life, quite frankly. And I didn't, I didn't believe I would ever fall in love again. I didn't believe I would ever get married again. My heart was hardened, quite frankly. And it was hardened towards women. It was hardened towards marriage. Anything associated with that, I didn't want that kind of pain again. I'm good. This is good for the rest of my life. And the reason and when I knew Jackie was the one is when her spirit, her care, her love, her affection for me cut through all of that hardness. And she just wanted to help me be better, do better, and smile again. And that for me was a pretty sensational kind of period of time because I just never thought I would be blessed enough to find somebody that I would want to build a life with again in that way. And so I knew because she consistently thought about me first and that other centeredness about her um, just cut through all of that clutter and all of that pain. And I dreamed again that being in a loving relationship was something that I deserved. And then I deserved that with her. And so Bob, you're, you know, I, I'm going to hold back the tears because ego is so strong, but I'll I'll stop talking right there on that and yield the floor to some others. <laughs> I appreciate that, Donna. What's how did I know? I, I get I guess how I knew is um, I guess Lauren and I got to know each other first. What brought us together was that we were we both were funny. We just were funny together. We could make fun of each other. Um, and then the, the, the more I got to know her, it's just, I just realized, um, and, and she still is just, she, she's the smartest person I know. Um, but, she, but you don't, you don't ever know it. She just, she, she's smart without, she just has this, this humble smartness. So that, you know, the, those two are appealing to me. Um, the more I got to know her, you know, I got to, I got to see her around her family, you know, uh, like Don was saying around treating how, how she treated people she loved. It's like, a, I want some of that. You know, so all that was, we had a lot of that, that going for us and we were young and we just kind of fell into it. It became, um, we, we really were the first, our, we were the first dates of each other. So we just kind of fell into it and it grew. Um, I started dating Laura when she was, or we started dating when we were 16. Um, we end up in Raleigh, we're in school. Um, and you know the 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 moment I knew she was the one was when um, second semester I got a car and I I said to Laura I said why don't we why don't we try to date other people just to make sure I had this great idea that we we date other people and Laura said well I don't need to but if you do go ahead and do it so she's at Meredith I'm at State um, I I called up a girl I was new in, in high school. She's over at Carolina. We went on a date. Um, 
it was okay. It wasn't bad. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't bad. It wasn't good. Driving back, I thought, why am I doing this? Why am I, why am I looking and I've got somebody good? So, so that, you know, the next morning, you know, it was Saturday morning. I called Laura up. She was, she's at Meredith in a suite. This was back when you had one phone for four. Mm-hmm. Um, phone was answered. Can I speak to Laura? She can't come to the phone right now. Okay. So I called back that afternoon. Somebody else answered the phone. She can't come back to the phone. So for two weeks, I got, I, I got nothing. The girls in the suite circled around and, and I was not allowed to speak to Laura for two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. Um, I knew right then I better, I better, I better seal this deal. So that's when I knew. So. Love it. Love it. And you and Laura work together, which to the interjection and what Bob was saying, you work together for a very long time at IQ. Yeah, I, I pride myself in being uh, founding a couple companies. Um, Laura's already, always had more aspirational goals. She wouldn't say she was a founder twice, but we both co-founded two companies together and rolled up our sleeves and did a lot together. She made it all possible for me. Bob and Kurt, how did you know that your wife was the one? Go ahead, Kurt. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. I've got another two weeks hiatus to add to what Grant was talking about uh, when, when I knew that Valerie was the one. So when we first met, uh, we met through a mutual friend of ours who uh, Valerie went to school with at Howard University. And so we worked together at Procter & Gamble. And so uh, Valerie's friend said, you know, I've got my friend coming in town and I had met a lot of her. She was in a sorority and I had met all of her sorority sisters before. I was like, yeah, whatever. There, there's no way I don't want to have. I actually don't want to go, but I'll go to this thing you're having uh, so that we can we can I'll, I'll meet, you know, your friend. So so there Valerie was. And so she kind of got my attention from the very beginning. And she wasn't like. The other friends she had, it wasn't just that she was, you know, attractive externally, but her, her, just her being was, there was something about her that kind of captivated me. And so, uh, we went out on our first date and she started to pull out pictures of her family. And I had never seen anybody do that before. I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool that you first on our first date, you're going to pull out family pictures because most people don't want to share their families that way. So we had had like an instant uh, connection based on that. And so we, you know, we were dating for a few months and then, you know, what I call the hiatus happened. So she was like, yeah, well, I'm not where you are. I'm not where you're at. So, um, you know, I'm going to go hang out for a couple of weeks and you're not going to hear from me. And I'm not sure where this is going to go. And so for two weeks, no communication. So I was, but different than Grant, I didn't call her. I was like, there's no way I'm calling her back. So if that's, if that's how you want this to be, then that's how it's going to be. So I went radio silent <laughs> two weeks, didn't pick the phone up, didn't do anything. And I was tempted, but I just, I never did. And so so she called me. She was like, hey, what are you doing, friend? I was like, hey, how are you? And she said, well, let's 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 get together. And so at that point, we weren't exclusive and we were both seeing other folks. And I was like, listen, 
um, I don't want to see anybody else. I, I could see other folks, but but I don't want to. I want to I want to be with you. I just want to put all my cards on the table and let you know, you know how I'm feeling. And she said, "Well, I'm not where you're at." I was like, "All right." So at that point, I was ready to just say goodbye. And so then, because I was at that point where I was, I kind of laid my cards on the table. But then I was firm about walking away. Then that was what attracted. She was like, "Wait a minute, I, people usually don't do that." <laughs> do you know who I am? <laughs> so. As a result, we got, you know, that was kind of the thing that's, that uh, sealed it. And then that's, that's how I knew. But I knew almost day one, and it bothered me that I knew that day one. It kind of aided me that I had had these plans that it was going to be all about me. My motto at that point was 90, 1993. So it's going to be all about me in 1993. <laughs> I, nice. I should have had T-shirts printed. Like, I'm not trying to be with anybody else. I'm just trying to be me and do my thing single. And then she came in and like destroyed all my dreams of being single uh, within a couple of weeks. Cause I, I had declared that I'd gone to this, this thing with some friends of mine and, and I was not prepared to meet her when I did. So that's how I knew she, she was the one. Uh, I there. love that. All about me in 1993. About, <laughs> not about anybody else. <laughs> Bob. Well, I'm going to give you the quick and easy story. Suzette and I met on Match.com. Even though we're Gen Xers, we're like, you got to fish where the fish are in mm -hmm. uh, the early 2000s. And that's how it happened. We talked for a little bit on the phone, or we talked for a little bit on the phone, decided to meet that uh, we went to a faux winery in Blue Ash, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cincinnati. As soon as she walked in, I knew that she was the one, fell head over heels in love. She, I later found out, felt the absolute same. And that was the, that was the start. So quick and quick and easy. Match.com of all things for a go. Gen Xer. It's, uh, it's, it's insanity to me, but that's the love of my life through an algorithm. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Good tagline. So gentlemen. What are some signs for women, right? What do women need to know when a man doesn't think she's the one? What are some of the ways that a woman can say, I'm not this person's one? What should they look for? I think if a guy's not paying attention, that's the story mm -hmm. I hear. If, yep. if you're getting to know somebody and they're not paying attention, that's a red flag. And I was all about red flags. So I had dated some other women between my divorce and, and meeting Suzette. And it was like, I had learned enough in my first marriage that one red flag was enough. One, it was like, it wasn't three strikes. It was one, mm -hmm. one and out. So I think wow. people think they can fix other people and you can't fix people. Right. If it's broken going in, it ain't, it ain't, you ain't fixing it. So one red flag, go. There are a million other people out there, probably 10 million others. Mm -hmm. Another red flag is when uh, who you're with doesn't introduce you to their friends or their family or anyone else. They kind of keep you outside of that. Mm -hmm. Because I remember being with certain folks 
and they never they never met people who were close to me wouldn't take them home wouldn't introduce them to to my friends because i knew that they would be they would ask the question why are you with her what, what's going on here and, and one of the things that i learned over time is that when people when you have people who are close to you they see you with other people in ways that you don't yourself and so it's important to have a circle of people that you trust around you that can help you evaluate who you're with because at that point most people are going to say yes that's that's the one for me and they're not going to see the red flags because they're blinded by however they feel and so it's mm -hmm. important to move beyond how you feel especially if you're trying to spend your life with someone and and, and get get all the, the the work done actually this is a funny story so valerie has uh people in her family that are police officers so she had a background check run on me like pretty sure <laughs> so she was like i need to know if there are any red flags or not so go ahead and run uh run his name through the system and see what comes up so that but in that funny story you need people who will do things like that to under to help you evaluate you know who who you're with and so but what that's one of the key red flags is if someone's not bringing you into their full uh circles or lives with friends and family i would watch out I wish I knew you both in 1997. It might have saved me some trouble. <laughs> Grant and Don, anything to add there? So I would, I would say as advice that I give to our daughters, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's really important that um, you're impressed with the dreams and the work ethic behind the dreams of somebody that you're looking to build a life with or become intimate with. So one, if they don't talk about the future, red flag. Two, if they talk about the future, but their work ethic doesn't line up with it, red flag. Um, because most people, when you're young, you haven't accomplished a lot yet. So it's really about where you think you're headed and what are the work ethic things you're doing to try to get there and discover and figure it out. And so really it's about people that are that are future driven because I want our daughters to independent of the finances of it, to be with somebody that's going to figure out how to build a great life, what that means for them. And that means somebody with enough hustle, right, that's going to be able to win and, over, and overcome. So those are a couple of red flags that when I'm thinking about it and, and chatting with, with our daughters that I, that I share. Now, Don, you said that for our daughters, but not for David. Tell me why. Uh, good question. <laughs> wow, she's uh, tough you on you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you're, roasting you're Dawn tonight. <laughs> yeah, you're you're probably teasing out some some bias, but I also think you asked the question if you would talk to your daughters. But I'm not sure the tape would sure that. I have the same perspective for David. Um, there's really not difference there. I just think I was thinking about more my daughters in that in that moment. I okay. think the same red flags would apply um, because okay. you want somebody that you can build with and that you can overcome things with because most people don't build a great life, right? From zero to a hundred. And it's just this straight line of fun and success and 
and, and no challenges. I think everybody deals with some semblance of challenges. And so the person that you select, right, are they going to be right there with you pushing through? And I think mm. that's crucially important. Absolutely. Thanks for that. Gentlemen, what does love mean to you? What's your definition of love? So, you know, to me, you know, um, people talk about their job and they look forward to, you look forward to going to your job tomorrow. And it, to me, love is, do you look forward to waking up with this person tomorrow? Do you, I mean, do you genuinely go to bed looking forward to tomorrow? Mm. And then the other, and then it's also, do you, does this person genuinely make you strive to want to make them happy? It's like, do you sit there? Do you ever, do you, do you daydream about how can I make this person happy? What can I do today to make this person happy? Those are just a couple things to me is what love means to me. I'll go next on this and then, but I can be brief. I, I remember when Jackie and I first started dating and I knew pretty early that I was done for, uh, that, that she was the one, but my dad was the one that crystallized it. And he said, I hadn't seen you smile like this in years. What's going on? Did you find someone? Because I've not seen this many teeth from you <laughs> in years. And uh, for me, it's somebody, what love is, is somebody that can change your demeanor just because they're around you. That if you've had a tough day, that you've had a tough week at work, if you're fighting through some financial things, if you're fighting through some health things, that person's presence makes the day better, makes the moment better, makes you feel better just by their presence around you because you know they're with, with you. And, and that's how Jackie makes me feel. For me, Suzette is the person that I want to aspire to be better for. I want to make her happy 24 hours a day. I daydream about her. I want her to be proud of me and I just love talking to her. And that's, that's kind of a, in a, in a nutshell. Love to me is when you think about what you would do for somebody and there's nothing that you wouldn't do to make, you know, your, 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 your spouse, your wife, in this case, Valerie, happy. There's, there's, there, there's nothing I wouldn't do. There is, would be, there's no pain that I wouldn't go through to make sure that she had what she needs. And then just thinking about like what we were talking about, who's the person that I want to tell everything that's happened? Because when we can't talk, you know, we, even though we've been together for 30 years, we can talk on the phone for three, four hours like we did when we were you know, first dating. And so it's because of that connection this, that goes deep and it goes beyond physical attraction. You know, you know, she's still, you know, <laughs> when she went into the room, it's almost like it was um, when we first met. So there's the physical attraction, but we know over time that changes. But we're still connected in a way that it doesn't matter what's happening. I feel the same way and it, it grows over time. And so, uh, but love is also action. It's not just the feelings that you have for someone. What are you willing to do uh, for somebody? It, it should be an action uh, orientation when we think about what love is. And so that's, 
uh, as it was multi-layered. So do, who, who's my best friend? Who's the person that I want to spend time with no matter where we are? And who's the person that I would do anything for? And there's only one and it's her. I love Jackie. That. Let, let me just let me that. just interject yeah, for a second. Mm-hmm. Kurt touched on something there. My wife is smoking hot. She is a perfect <laughs> ten. And it. so when, I love it. When dudes my age are going through the <laughs> shit of their first marriages and they don't know what to do, I'm like the marriage whisperer, and they come to me and talk to me about how they should operate their lives. I'm like, find your soulmate. My wife's a 10. I hit the jackpot. It took me a long time to get there, but my lottery ticket got punched. And so, Kurt, thanks for hey, thanks for reminding hey, me. Hey, I, I hey, tell her all the time. My lottery. Hey, Bob, Bob, you you got a you got a 10 five years ago. I got a 11 50 years ago. I know. That, Grant, that's the way to play it, man. I wasn't happy like you. I had hey, listen, for man. It. Hey, listen, he's flexing. Granted, <laughs> it's 11, I love it. I love ago. it. I'll, I'll tell you this thing, Jackie, about uh, uh, Bob, just to echo his truthfulness, right? So Bob and I think a lot alike about marriage, right? But there's some differences. So Bob would hear me sometimes go, hey, Jackie, I don't know if I want to do that. He was like, no, don't <laughs> say that. <laughs> he's like, how can you how can you tell her no? I was like, uh, you just do it. You just work up to it and you say and you say no. <laughs> and, and Bob's looking at me like, man, you're crazy, man. He's like, you gotta start every sentence with my love. <laughs> right? Even if you disagree. And I'm listening to him. And the first time he said it, I was like, this dude's crazy. Second time, the second time he said it, I said, still crazy. By the fourth time, I was like, hey, Bob, tell me more about that, that thing you do, mm-hmm. right? So that you don't argue and you start out everything with my love. And then I became his student. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that, y'all. That's so awesome. You know, and thank you because by the time we had gone around the circle and, and got to Kurt, I was feeling Bob the the tears welling up, and then we went to smoking hot, and I was like, "All right, I'm back in it." Thank you. Tear control. Tear control. What is a man's re- responsibility to his wife in a relationship? Right. So we hear so often about you know men having all these requirements for women, and they're not bringing enough to the table. But what are a man's responsibilities from your perspectives to his wife in that in that relationship? Jackie, I've been waiting for this question. I knew mm-hmm. this was coming. I'm going to tell you something. My brothers out there our age who are, uh, they wish for a Barbie doll and they are full of it because mm. they have these expectations. Guys are so arrogant. They think... Mm. You got the ugliest guy on the planet. He thinks he de- he deserves something. It's crazy to me. I don't know if it's like this with younger generations because you know, I don't know. But Jesus, I have guys. My, I have friends who are single or divorced. That, like they they treat it. Uh, they're just they're just they're off the charts. So that's all I have to say. Like guys are arrogant and they think they expect much better than they could ever get. They bring nothing to the table. 
and they think they deserve, uh, you know, a Miss America or something. I don't know. I don't mind being a little old school here, right? Like my wife, Jackie, is uh, an amazing professional, um, best-selling author, uh, podcast host in the top 5%, co-founder, all of these things. But if she doesn't want to work, I need to be able to financially grow our family so she doesn't have to. I believe that. If she wants to work, grow a career, then that's great. I think that a husband should give his wife financial choice, right, based on that, number one. Number two is I think that the honor and integrity that, and this doesn't mean I'm perfect in this, you asked the question of what a husband should should be, mm-hmm. is somebody that your the wife can depend on as her rock because women go through so many different things at all different ages, right? Whether it's the child-rearing years, whether it's the professional component, all, and, and, and. And so being a husband that is in tune to the emotional needs of their wife is something I'm getting better in my second marriage that I didn't even understood 20 years ago. I, I just didn't even understand that, right? And so I think that the husband is supposed to be available so that the wife can live the dreams that she wants, whether that be inside or out of the home, in corporate America, raising the kids. But I, I want my wife to have the choice. Jackie will come home from days, sometimes tough days at work. I don't want to do this anymore. I said, then stop. <laughs> right? Like, I, I think that's an important thing that, that you should be able to do. Sometimes she just wants to talk things out, and I had to learn how to listen, not solve, Mm -hmm. right? So the husband needs to be what the wife needs him for in that moment, Mm -hmm. not the way he would perceive solving that particular problem. But those are some of the things that I had to learn as I grew up and matured and and still learning, but certainly better than than I was five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, uh, and yesterday. So I think there are a few things that a husband should be responsible for. One of those is studying, studying your wife uh, under a variety of different situations and doing things to preserve your wife. Uh, And so that's one of the things that I try to do is to, to look at situations where uh, you know, you could be picking up a glass in the kitchen because you look at that. You look at the eye contact that you get when you walk in, and you know, oh, maybe you're upset because I didn't put this fork away. I didn't put this dish in the, in the dishwasher like I need to. And being being aware enough of the cues and the signals that we get, and so part of that means studying and being in uh, engaged and kind of in contact with you know how our wives are at their best. Uh, I heard someone say one of the responsibilities of a husband is to blow fresh air into their wives as as if they were sails. And so you want to be able to blow fresh air into your wife and let her know that that she's valued and and, and don't let anyone else uh, be the one that's uh, pouring into your wife uh, and, and showing value in a way that you should be showing as a husband. And so I think it's, that's important that you're not getting that validation anywhere else. Uh, and so I think that's the, one of the key things is what, what should I be doing to help my wife be the best that she can be, whatever she wants to do. Um, and then you become is less about what you need 
and more about what she needs. And then one of the things that I find is that when I give Valerie what she needs, then she gives me what I need. And so it's important to be okay. other centered um, and, and to do that in a way where there's no one else on the, in the world who's demonstrating more commitment and, and echoing the value that she has. Uh, so that's what I would say some of our chief responsibilities are, but it's who's, who's the chief cheerleader for your wife? It should be the husband. The keeper of equity. I mean, I, that, I think that's just kind of the one word for what Kurt said, but there's just so much um, implicit bias in the world. We come to the table as male. I come to the table as a white male and everything's leaning in my favor. And... Um, just making certain that the, we can do whatever we can to make the world equitable for our loved one. I wouldn't have said that 46 years ago, uh, mm -hmm. but, but today's world, it's just, it becomes crystal clear how lucky I have been. And, and it's not luck, it's how much bias has, has, has been tilted in my favor. And, it's, and, and that's just wrong. And, and, we have a responsibility, a duty, an obligation every day to think about that. And it friggin' hurts, it makes my brain hurt, but mm. we have an obligation to do it. It's just what we need to do. Thanks for that, Grant. That brings me to my next question. Each of you have daughters. How does your relationship with your daughter or daughters influence your relationship with your wife? One of the things that took me time to realize about my relationship with Diana and my wife, Jackie, and when Jackie and I got together, I, I, I gained a daughter, and that was a beautiful thing. Many people listening are part of blended families, right? Mm -hmm. And I gained a daughter. Um, but in that situation, you don't have a relationship with a single mother if you don't have a great relationship with their child. Mm -hmm that it, it, it just doesn't work. Um, and so it required of me to understand that story, to accept that story, and then to make sure that I was working on a relationship with Jackie and with Diana. Mm -hmm. And now, fast forward, right? Diana, have, Diana and I have our own relationship that is independent of our relationship together as, as a unit. And so I think it's it's important to be able to show that love that is stronger than the biological. It is a way to demonstrate commitment to the future of that new union. And the other thing I think it's important for us to be is model the type of men that your your daughter is going to go out in the world and choose. Mm. Um, and that's all I'll say there. But those those two things I, I think are, are really important. Absolutely. Yeah, I would echo that. Um, my relationship with my daughters is critical to the overall happiness of the family. Mm -hmm. Suzette is the real glue of the family. She keeps everything together, but I'm the love center of the family. And my two daughters, both independently of one another, need things from me as the male figure in the family. And so, for example, um, Sophie needs to know that men are okay and that you can have positive relationships. 
and you can joke, and that's the role that I play. So I have roles to play with my daughters that in fact strengthen this role that I play, kind of like Don said, quasi-independent of the family. Mm-hmm. It helps all of us. But I'm not going to lie, like Suzette and I are now empty nesters and we love that more than anything. So uh, there's that piece of it, too. But, you know, we're we're a very we're a four person unit. It's the three women and me and we're tight and we all have different roles to play. And so so I recognize that center of love that I play and I give my daughters hopefully what they need to do the kind of things that Don said, be a role model for the relationships that they'll have, for understanding how they'll engage with males in authority figure positions, things like that. So mm-hmm. it's a great question, Jack. Uh, so the other night, um, Maggie, our daughter and son were over here, their kids, dinner had been finished. We were, I, you know, I cleared the table and I, I um, started doing the dishes. And Laura said, I'll do that. And so I just took her at her word and just kind of backed away from the sink and was going to go about my merry way. And then Maggie looked at me and said, just in very crisp terms, you can do better than that. Wow. Wow. So, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I've always let Laura say that and I've always walked away and, you know, I had my kitchen pass, so to speak. And, you know. Maggie has um, done a lot to make me aware of men's bad behavior. And we've got a lot of them. And she'll call me out really quick. So, so she's got a safe space to call me out. It's not fun, but she's got a safe space. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting that you got the same DNA, but then your kids are very different from one another. So if I think about my daughters and how, how different they are, you know, they're both enormously talented and so they're different like versions of valerie i guess if you if you think about it so when i see them walk into the house i was like is that no that's not valerie that's that's reese or no that's not valerie that's kayla and so they their their essences are, are the same the they're there's just like their just being is, is similar but the way they express themselves is very different uh so reese is the 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 artist uh, the dancer, the, the the one who's got lots of talent. And so for me, and when we're interacting, it's, it's about, you know, confidence. How do I help you become more confident and nurturing that in, in her? And so when I do that, that, you know, Valerie obviously is a fan of <laughs> that and nurturing her and helping her through whatever's going on and, and doing it in a way that works for her because, you know, I've made the mistake many times of not doing it the right way. Uh, and then, you know, Valerie will be like, why did you say that? Like, perfect case in point. Yesterday, I was uh, so Reese is uh, now the final member of the family. She's got her license, her, not her license, but her permit. So we we went out on a, a, a road drive yesterday, and I was I was doing too much backseat driving uh, yesterday. <laughs> I was trying to be quiet, but I couldn't. Bowery was like, "Hey, um, she doesn't need all these points of feedback. If you're going, if you're going to do it, sit in the front seat. If you're not." <laughs> you be in the back seat. Don't say anything. And so our interaction, you know, we can see some of those things. And then actually, as we were talking, Caleb just FaceTimed me while we were uh, filming, doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. And so for Kayla, 
the thing that I've had to learn is about this idea of emotional availability that I didn't experience growing up. That wasn't something that, you know, I wasn't telling my father, hey, hey, dad, you know, I, I really need you to be more emotionally available for me. Like, that's a whole new concept, right? <laughs> and I didn't have any sisters. And so I didn't, I didn't experience that in that way. And so that's something that Kayla's helped me with is recognizing that, you know, while she's accomplished and while she's extremely confident and I, I don't find a whole lot of people who can argue against her. Uh, so she is going to law, planning to go to law school at some point, not surprisingly, but the thing that she let me know is I still, I still need my dad. Mm -hmm even though I have all these things and these accomplishments and, you know, getting my master's at NYU, I still need you. I still need validation from you. I need you to send me flowers. I still need you to send me gifts. I need a gift from you. So I know that you were the one that picked the gift out and you were listening to what I was saying that you care about what's going on in my life. And so that was, I mean, it hurt to recognize that I had been like, you think you're doing the right thing for your your family, your kids, your wife, and then we find out that you're missing the mark. I mean, there, there's nothing that is that hurts more than that. And so I had to do some soul searching and some sh shifting and some changing uh, to make sure that I was giving her what she needed because this is something I didn't learn. Nobody told me. I didn't know how to do it, other than just by sure. failing and then finding ways to fix it. Um, and so I, I think the, the lesson is this, hopefully we're all in a state where those things are fixable, where you can learn those things. Not only does that apply to your relationship with your daughter, but you can do the same thing at, with your wife based on things that you're learning, like Grant's example about, uh, hey, you can do better. Like, I think our daughters have the ability to speak to us in a way where they can tell us that we can get better in a way that we may not hear from anybody else. So that's, that's what I would say about that. Awesome. Thank you all for that. So for my two long timers, how do you keep your marriage fresh after all these years? It's, it's important to have goals in your relationship. Mm -hmm. It's important to always be moving towards something or moving forward towards something. And, and when you get complacent, that's where problems start to creep in. So, you know, what are you working toward as, uh, uh, you know, whether that's could be a business, it could be a vacation, it could be a, a variety of different things. Traveling could be a lot of different things. I was asking Valerie, you know, what stories can I, sh I was trying to get as much permission in advance as I could, so I didn't share anything <laughs> that I shouldn't. Smart. So I, I've been cleared to tell this one story. Um, okay. So we uh, had this trip to go to Europe and we had been planning it for three years and uh had an amazing time and we got back and we we were like what's going on because things were just getting a little rocky in some of our conversations and valerie said you know we don't do anything i was like what how we just do you know how much time we just spent in europe together with nobody else it was just me and you we, we've been playing this trip for three years and you're gonna come back and tell me that we don't do anything like what what's going so i, I was i was confused <laughs> to put it mildly <laughs> and, and frustrated and you know what she started to share is that 
we don't spend time together on an ongoing basis. We don't have things that we're working toward. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was great that we went to Europe, but we're back and here we are again. There's nothing else has changed. What are we working toward? And so that that's um, an example of what can happen when you put all your stock in, you know, we're going to have this vacation. Everything is going to be perfect. It, there needs to be ongoing uh, maintenance in your relationship, for lack of a better way to think about it. We have to be Absolutely. investing in making deposits in our relationships, whether that's date night every week or something that you want to do. It doesn't have you could just be hanging out watching Game of Thrones, like, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But what is what is that thing that you do together? Because a lot of people spend time there in each other's presence, but they're, you know, somebody's upstairs and somebody's downstairs or somebody's on the couch while somebody else is reading a book while somebody else is watching TV. So you're just in your in physical space, but that doesn't mean you're maintaining the relationship. So what are, what are we doing to make sure that we're spending quality time together and we're investing in each other, trying to get to know each other? Because the thing is, we still, as many years as we've been married, there's lots of stuff we still don't know about each other. Um, mm -hmm. And so continue to continue the exploration, the discovery so that things, you know, stay fresh. Thanks, Kurt. Grant, anything to add to that? Yeah, so we've, you know, we've been married a long time um, and you go through eras. Um, you know, we, 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 we formed two companies together and, you know, Kurt was talking about goals. The, the companies just kind of set our goals and we just, we survived we got through we got through survival and then we got through the growth period and then we got through this and we sold them and you know so we the companies provided a lot of adventure for us for a long time kept things that kept things fresh um mm -hmm. the last you know in the last couple of years kind of we've we've sold our companies we don't have companies anymore we don't have a payroll we don't have to we just have the two of us which is great i mean we we've always spent an inordinate amount of time together just a lot of time together eight hours a day and then we get home and then we spend quiet time. So now we're just trying to kind of reinvent that, which means continuing to be adventurous, continuing to be curious, um, continuing to do things outside our comfort zone. We went to a math lecture on NC State's campus last Tuesday night. I mean, we were, we were the dumbest math people in the room, <laughs> but it was just, it was just Fun to be on NC State's campus where there are retiring math professors and aspiring mathematicians all in a room with this with this Ivy League professor lecturing to them. And we just, you know, the first two slides of his deck, we understood, but we understood. The next 20, we're looking at each other like, why are we here? But it was just fun <laughs> to take the pulse of the room. Mm -hmm. And it was just we, we, we were uncomfortable, which creates kind of a tension that's kind of fun. Uh, so it's just kind of looking for stuff that's fun to do um, that's different. So it's just we're in a roller coaster car together, having fun, ups and downs. Um, and you got to have you got to find ways to find those highs and lows. Keep it. Absolutely. Keep it changing. Now, for my second timers. How do you navigate the challenges of a blended family? Blended family. Um, I'm friends with Suzette's ex. We have forged a path together because they have to co-parent. And 
it's nothing that I would have ever imagined. You know, when I was a kid and parents were divorced, it was throwing dishes and, and wrecking cars and bad things happened, but it's a different world. And so, um, the blended family, you know, like I said earlier, my daughters have different needs. I try to fulfill their needs and I try to be the best dad that I can for each of them. My daughter Cassie needs a big hug and a, and and attention in a different way than Sophie needs. And Suzette and I try to stay grounded in the fact that that we're soulmates and we love each other and we're going to move forward. And you know, if you saw the show Deadwood, um, Swearingen and um, his his Chinese. <laughs> friend had this saying, hang die. And it's totally inappropriate to our relationship. But Suzette and I will just look at each other and say, hang die. And we actually say, hang die, MFR. That's what we actually <laughs> say to each other. And we do this. So like it's hang die, MFR. Like that's our code word for like whatever happens, it's you and I against the world. And we'll pull these girls in and we'll help them and we'll we'll make things work. But in the end, it's you and I, you know, above all else. Love it. Uh, for me, the blended family part was really difficult. <laughs> and when I say was really difficult is because it's better, right, than it, than it was at the beginning, right? And, you know, with uh, Sierra and Mariah and David, there was a sense of loss because things were changing when my first marriage ended and that was real and rough and a lot of raw emotions were there and shared. And so I had to think about it long-term and weather the storm is the best way I could describe it without like taking the whole podcast to go through it and reestablish individual relationships with Sierra with Mariah, with David, as well as Diana, and not assume that anything in the past was going to hold, right? Assuming that it wasn't and dig in and check and maintain and grow. And it took me a while to understand that, right? So it really wasn't so much the people around me. It was that when, as a man, when you don't know what you're supposed to give, that's actually the worst place. When we know what we're supposed to do, we'll go do it. Or if we don't, we're making a deliberate decision not to. But when you don't know the right things to do, that point of confusion, especially in emotive things and relationship things, is really where a lot of stress and anxiety and, and things occur. And so I would encourage people that are in that blended family arena, remember number one, that in my case, Jackie, I had one woman that I had to please. That was my wife. I've made that decision, that commitment. And then I had responsibilities with my kids, right, to meet them where they were and not try to accelerate their journey prematurely and just love people while they were learning a new environment, a new context, new relationships. And so it takes a lot of patience. Um, it takes a lot of optimism, some cases, in, in, in our case. But I will tell you that if you continue to push through, one of the things that my daughters in particular um, shared, they were very, very focused 
on seeing me happy. And over the years, that's actually what broke things in a positive direction. Is that we determined that our love for each other was more important than some of the circumstance. And they wanted to see their dad happy. And so that that's what I will share on that without like it could be its own separate podcast. But I will say for folks that are in love and on round two, I'm here for you. I understand. And I know there's some drama on tap going on, right? Like if that's like, yes. if, if we're going to be like real, if we're going to get on here and drink and lie. All right, fine. It was great. Everybody loved it. I was amazing. I made no missteps. If we're going to keep it real, it's a learning process, right? And you've got to be willing to push through that learning process to get to that other side where people know that even though you have a new relationship, that that doesn't mean you love them less. Mm-hmm. All of us know that marriage is hard for every person. How have you worked through the tough times in your relationship without throwing in the towel? I have never had any tough times. <laughs> <laughs> I am so good. Tough, tough times. So, mm. Okay, now. Now back to our now now back to the show. <laughs> you know, there, there are a few things. One, I was I was fortunate to have role modeling. My my parents were married for forty five years, and Valerie's parents are sixty five years and and going strong. So, when you've got that modeling, where you you can see someone who's made a decision that this is it, that no matter what we're going to be together. And so I think coming into our marriage, we had that as a mindset that there was, this wasn't a temporary thing that we were doing. Um, so I think that that's helpful. The other thing is to think about <clears throat> sometimes we magnify small things. And when you magnify small things, then it makes it seem bigger than it actually is. And versus thinking about the whole the whole relationship that you're in and the alternative because sometimes you 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 get enamored with well you know what would it be like if I wasn't married right now I'd have this freedom I could do this I could do that but then you know I have friends that aren't married and when I talk to them I don't want to be them there there's like no I would not trade places with them for any amount of money <laughs> for multiple reasons. And so that's, that's the thing that this helped. Cause once when you're thinking about things like that is hopefully look at the alternative and it's just not great. People are like, Oh my gosh, I wish I had I had a relationship like yours. And so that helps me recognize how fortunate and blessed that I am. And so that helps to, to push, through some some difficulties is not to over uh, emphasize things that are small, because at, at the end of the day, this a lot of what we fight about or argue about. They this just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're trying to change uh, our wives, as opposed to recognizing the uniqueness that they have, and then accepting that, and then saying, well let me not fight against that that that's how she was made that's how she's wired 
that's why we're comp why we compliment each other when sometimes we're we're not on the same page. But it's it's the it's us fitting together in a way that's going to help uh, create you know great things if we just pat if if we push past the small things. So I think that's that's the key is like what are we doing together? That's great. The small things then they that's don't so matter. Great. I was talking to a couple. They've been married for fifty five years, and they said, you know what. The stuff we used to fight about isn't worth a hill of beans. Mm. And so that's, that's, that's to have the right perspective about difficulty and to expect that it's going to happen, but then realize why you've been put together. Good advice. Good advice. You know, Jackie, the, uh, I'm listening to Curtin. I mean, everything he's saying is spot on, but I found myself in this place of like the divorce whisperer. And I like have people reaching out to me like a, a friend of a friend, I'm like, do I know you? And the guy's like, I don't, my marriage, I think it's over. I don't know what to do. I'm like, I don't even know you. <laughs> it's, it's, there are clearly though marriages that are broken. And I found myself, I'm so happy. I love my wife so much. I'm like, yeah, man you're it's over like you got to just bust it break it off you've got you're 56 year old year old you know maybe you got 20 years left go find happiness like put yourself first for a change i so i feel very conflicted i didn't have great role models growing up but i understand there are, there are people who have had wonderful marriages like kurt and grant and i hate to be that person but sometimes you hear people and there's so much, I don't know, retribution going on. There's so much mm. ill will. Mm -hmm. And you just know, like, there's no way you're not happy. The other person's not happy. They tell me there yeah. are 50 reasons why they're not happy. And I'm like, there's somebody out there for you. And you're going to be, I think pe people don't realize, like, you're going to die someday. Like, maximize your happiness. You don't need me to tell you, but for some reason, I have somehow been the person people come to Elected. it's too much it's too much so if you're listening to this i'm not i can't help you i'm not a licensed therapist <laughs> i'm just a guy i i you know i don't know anything what i'll say is whether it's days or weeks and this is me talking from just my personal perspective mm -hmm. are you chasing the problem so that you're right and looking for more evidence of how right you are, or are you chasing the solution? Any time with Jackie that we're not on the same page, if I'm chasing the problem, problem gets bigger. If I'm trying to amplify what are, what is she not doing, what is she not saying, what am I? All of all of those things. But if I'm chasing the solution, it is always really quick. Like it's always a matter of hours. It's always a matter of a cup of coffee. It's always. If, I'm, if I, and not even talk about her, if I'm chasing the solution, it never lasts long. If I fall into the trap of chasing the problem, then it lasts longer. Mm -hmm. And that comes back to Jackie's earlier question of what husbands owe to their wives and, and really what do partners owe to each other? Like mm -hmm. you can use whatever acronym that you want, right? But you're, you're trying to build something amazing together then I think we owe one another that we're chasing the solution. And that's probably the biggest growth area I've had over the last two years. 
in in a in a personal relationship like you have breakthroughs as you're learning something because I don't have 30 years in or mm-hmm. 40 years in right but I know that this relationship I want till death do us part so therefore I'm listening to like I'm I'm super open right to how the hall of famers right have done it right and chasing the solution is my advice so this next question y'all Just to say, I'm going to ask this question in general. This is my disclaimer. The answers can be a combination of personal experience, conversations with friends, other information sources. But why, from your perspective, do men cheat? I love my wife more than anything. And people come to me because they want the same level of happiness that I found in my second marriage. And Mm -hmm. so they tell me things. They wouldn't tell their priest or anybody else in the world. And it's a lot of weight to bear. Men (laughs) cheat because they want to get caught. They don't know how to get out of a relationship in a, in a way that is gutsy. And so I, I know 10 guys who have left their phones conveniently in a place where their wife would see it when their other was going to text them. So, Men cheat, A, because they're assholes, generally, and B, because they want to get caught. That's my mm. experience. I can't speak for the why. Like, I think I got a pretty good angle, angle on it, but that's my interpretation, let's put it. Wow. Thanks, Bob. So there's an obvious answer, which is an integrity answer, right? Because you made vows, you either keep them or you don't. So that stands on its own, right? There's an integrity component there. The second piece, and this has to do with the male ego, is you think the answer is outside of your house and not inside your house. Mm-hmm. So whatever it is you're feeling, whatever it is you don't think you're getting, whatever excuse you think you're going to use, you think the answer is outside of your home and the answer is in your home, chasing the solution with the person that you said you loved. Mm-hmm. And that is that that is my perspective right so it's not belittling the integrity piece but people cut corners on things all the time mm-hmm. right why does a man act outside of the vows that you said in front of god and people and everyone is you think the answer to whatever problem you're having in your relationship is outside of your home and really it is with the person because i will say this and i believe this a thousand percent my experience, talking to hundreds of people. Women know what's wrong with the relationship, both what the man's doing and what they're doing to contribute to friction in the relationship. Mm-hmm. If as a man, you listen completely to your woman, they know the path, but they need you in unison to work the path to fix it together. But women are astute. They're emotionally in tune. When they're bickering or picking at you or doing whatever men excuse, they know they're doing it. It isn't an accident. If you can ever get to the point where you can talk about what's wrong and listen to your wife and then chase the solution together, most people can fix what they think is wrong. But men think it's not fixable, so they just go into the financial provider mode, and then they think the solution to their emotions are outside the home. And that's that's why those are the two reasons that I think that men cheat. Thanks for sharing that, Don. I mean, I think 
somewhere along the uh, somewhere along the line, somebody got bored. Um, and I guess if I go back to your earlier question, what what are my responsibilities? Not let her get bored. Mm. I love that, Grant. So it's it's like it's my that. responsibility. Where she doesn't, if 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 she's bored, it's because of me. I'm not bringing game to the table. So somebody's gotten bored. Either I've gotten bored, she's gotten bored, and that's why. So keep it adventurous, keep it fun. Don't let boredom set in, and that's work. That's mm-hmm. just friggin' work. That's true. As as I've talked to folks, I think there there are a couple of things. One is that. Uh, I think there are some men who are addicted to conquest. Mm. And then after you've uh, been successful, that addiction, whatever that is, doesn't necessarily stop for some people. And so now that I, I have what I wanted, now I'm bored. So now I need to continue this cycle of conquest. So there's that. There's the thrill and the excitement of doing something that you know isn't exactly right. And so there's some folks that want to get caught, but there's some folks that I think I'm good enough not to get caught, but I, I enjoy the thrill behind that. So seeking this thing that I know I shouldn't be doing. And then the other reason is that people are trying to fill emptiness inside of themselves by doing something external. So there's something missing. There's a hole that I have in me. And so if I think by doing this apart from my wife, I'm going to feel like Don, you were saying, like, I'll be able to fill this one need I have while I'm doing this other thing. And so you're, you're chasing these things. But ultimately, the problem is internal, is inside of the man, the husband, whoever it is, is it's an internal problem. You're trying to fill it with external things. And so that's the challenge that I see with lots of folks is that they're not strong enough to recognize that the problem is with me when I have somebody, you know, whether they walk past me looking a certain way or saying something in my ear, if that's attractive to me, then what's wrong with me? Is is not just the the person that may be pursuing or maybe the the band pursuing, but there there is something wrong uh, inside of them, and so that's the thing that is important for men to recognize and to also never put yourself in a situation where you're going to do something that you sh- you're going to regret. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I plan never to do that, but I also recognize that I'm not strong enough to say, Oh, I'll, there's no way I'm going to do that. I think is being s- smart enough to recognize not to put yourself in a situation where you're going to put your hand in the cookie jar and you shouldn't. The best thing to do to keep your hands out of the cookie jar is get the cookies out of the house. And so, mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing to be mindful of in terms of whatever weaknesses that, you know, we all have is to make sure that we don't put ourselves in harm's way. Absolutely. What advice do you give to couples for whom marriage is on the horizon? Don't. Uh, um, (laughs) Hey, listen, for, I, I, so I have some, I have lots of opinions on anything, but for the, for the gentleman, Get your money right, because I hear all this stuff, independent women, I make my own money. I get all that. But when kids enter the picture, have you saved enough money where your, your, your wife or partner can stay home 
and be with the kids if that's what she wants to do, mm-hmm. right? Money is such a huge stressor that understanding how you're going to financially prepare in this world allows you to focus on each other. But if you don't have that piece right, it becomes all you talk about. And, mm-hmm. and I've experienced th- that, that piece of it. So I, I encourage people to really think about how you want to live fiscally, what careers you want to do, buy a house, rent, save, all those things that aren't lovey-dovey to talk about, mm-hmm. but are what so many people spend time talking about if you don't have it right. And then the second thing that I would say is you have to make sure that your goals are aligned. If one person is good with uh, just kind of a steady as they go and the other is a total dreamer and a dream chaser, that's going to be a lifestyle mismatch, even with that, that love and emotion. So I think you have to be on the same accord with how you want to chase this thing called life. Mm-hmm. And that's different than the feelings of, of love and that feelings of she's so beautiful and all those different things. So those are a couple of things that I share with folks when they, when they, when I'm asked. Fifty years ago, forty-six years ago, um, Laura and I did not talk about money before we did this. We did not talk about goals. Um, after we got married, we talked about money and we talked about goals. We were just lucky. Um, <laughs> we were just, I mean, we were just lucky. We, it turned out that. Um, we figured out how to make money and it turned out that our goals were aligned. And so those are important, but my encouragement would be not try to figure out how not to get married, but try to figure out how to get married, how to align goals, how to figure out as a I, I don't agree with Donald own that the male, the man's of the, you know, the man should be providing. No, I just believe that the couple should figure out how to make money, enough money together to accomplish goals. So try to figure out how to, to combine, to make the goals and the money align. Because if you find it, if you get into a good marriage, there's nothing better in this world. Nothing mm. better. Mm-hmm. And try to try to figure out how to fuse it together versus we can't do it because we're, we're not sure whether we're going to make enough money. We're not sure whether we're completely aligned on goals. Try to figure out how to combine it and make it work because it's it's glorious when it does. Thanks for that, Grant. Bob and Kurt. I would say it's about communication skills. And um, mm-hmm. if you don't have your communication down the chances of your marriage lasting are nil. You can't fix somebody. You're not fixing another adult. You're not changing their way. And what I've seen happen too many times is that people just, it's like um, Festivus, you know, from Seinfeld. You know, it's a list of grievances. And most marriages end because there's a list of grievances. That grievance... It, and, and, you know, it's when you're 22 and you're married and you didn't take the garbage out or you didn't take the trash out and it just compounds and grows geometrically because you, you're then not willing to talk about it. And so I know a lot of 50 year old plus guys who have 20 years, 25 years of grievances because they never learned how to talk about it. 
because we're Gen Xers and you kept that shit to yourself and you didn't be a wuss about it. You know, you, you internalized it. Um, so it's, it's a lot of backlash against the way we were raised, you know, and I don't know how it's, how it's still playing out, but my gut is that if the communication isn't there, uh, you know, that's, that's the challenge. When I hear young people getting married, I'm like, you know, they're spending 25 grand. They've got the, the, the paparazzi photographer who's going to take pictures of them out at Biltmore, you know, like that, like, like it was a, like it was a festival setting or something. I'm like, you're just setting yourself up for a fairy tale. That's not going to last. It's, it's more fundamental. Do you have your shit straight? Do you have your fundamentals set up? Do you talk? Do you grow together? You know, those kind of things. Good. Kurt. The first question I ask folks is why? <laughs> it's a pretty fundamental question, but a lot of people don't have the answer to it. Why do you want to get married? Mm. What, what do you think is going to happen after you get married? What good is going to come from it? And so asking that question reveals some things about people's perspectives and their expectations, because one of the reasons that marriages don't work out is because you have two people who have very different expectations of what marriage is supposed to be. And if you don't start to explore those things before you get married, then you're going to have issues. Now you're still going to have issues anyway, <laughs> but at least you have a fighting chance because you've got aligned expectations around that. So why, what's, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? Do you want to have a family? Do you want to have kids? What, what's your expectation around how, what your lifestyle is going to be like? Asking those fundamental questions is important so that to Bob's point, you don't have, you know, I have no lots of folks that have had these amazing destination weddings and have gotten divorced in a year or less. It almost seems like the more money you spend on your wedding, the less likely it is that you're going to stay together based on at least my small sample size. So the why piece is really important. And then something that uh, some folks told us when Valerie and I were dating was when people get married, your families are actually getting married to each other. And so that's something to understand when you first get together. The things that are great about your families and the things that aren't so great about your families are going to come together and collide. And so what, what does that mean? So when you're thinking about conflict resolution or communications, as uh, Bob was just talking about, how do you resolve conflict? Do you, do you blow up and throw glasses, glass across the room or do you use the silent treatment and you go on silent for weeks and months at a time? about a particular issue. Understanding how you deal with uh, conflict is important because that's one of the fundamental things around, if you don't understand that, where I'm gonna convince you to, I'm gonna convince you that my point of view is right and you're gonna beat somebody to the ground and they're gonna silent treatment you, you've got no shot. So yeah. understanding those two fundamental things, like why, why do I wanna do this? Cause it's hard and then what are the family dynamics that we're going to have when we get married? And then when you have kids, are your parenting styles going to be the same? So do you have one parent that's like, you can do whatever you want. And the other parent is like running a, a prison. So, you know, where, where, the, where, the, where, where are the expectations uh, align in terms of what message, you know, you're giving one child uh, is talking to mom all the time because they're the one that's going to say, and this, this is, I'll flip it because I don't want to be uh, stereotypical. So dad is going to say yes all the time to, to the daughter. And like, I'm going to 
take my checkbook out, credit cards, whatever you need, I got you. And mom was like, why did you do that again? I told her no. And so as much as you can, understanding what those differences in values and expectations uh, in your marriage is important. So that way you have a higher likelihood of being successful. But if you don't go into the marriage, like it's amazing. Like we go through planning financially and all these things, but I love this other person. So we're just going to get married and we don't do any planning for it. So having the same level of planning that you would do for anything else and more than that, uh, I think is, is key. Yeah. Absolutely. Last question of the night, gentlemen. What's the thing that you'd like to tell your wife after this conversation? Well, I would say, as I do all things, my love. <laughs> I had a wonderful time talking about you tonight and how much I love you. Because I really do feel... I got lucky on my second go. I hit the lottery. I found the perfect person for me. And I look at her and every single time I look at Suzette, I feel like it's, it's the first time I ever saw her all over again. It's my heart sings. And so, I mean, it's, it's beyond my belief as a thinking rational person that I could be so deeply in love with this one person. And I want her to know that. And I want her to know that if I live for one more year, one more day, a thousand more years, that you, you meant something to me. And this conversation has actually deepened my love for her even more. Well, Bob, we are now still at 100% on one of us crying in every episode. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Bob. I did not. Bob, you almost made it. Jeez. <laughs> I thought I was going to make it, but no, we are still at a... Wow. Hey, good, good for you, you, man. Bob. That is good, Bob. Who's next Way after go, Bob. <laughs> Goodness. I tell Jackie this all the time, and I'll tell her after this. Everything's better when you're involved. And that's our business. That's our life. Uh, that's our future. And once I fully internalize that, then any of the small things around the edges, right, became even smaller. And so what, I, what would I tell my wife after this conversation, who happens to be here and moderate, <laughs> leading the dialogue, is just like pulling this together, whether mm -hmm. it gets a million downloads or 50 or 5,000, this conversation is going to open some doors and minds of people. And so people are better because Jackie's involved. And, um, and, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And it's, it's super exciting to kind of see her movie develop as, uh, as a wife, as a mother, as a leader, and all those things kind of combined into somebody that I adore. And for somebody that was not sour on love, I was actively in pursuit of anything against love or a new relationship. Mm -hmm. And whatever you think that means, that's what I was doing after I got divorced. And she um, gave me a different perspective on all things love and continues to do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in a really reflective kind of mindset just based on all the things that we've talked about. And 
know, I don't know what I did uh, to deserve to be without. I just marvel at who she is. I marvel at the lives that she's touched when she walks in the room, the way that she talks to people, the way that she's raised our family. I'm humbled that I have the opportunity to love her at all. And I know that I wouldn't be who I am or achieve some of the things that I've achieved without her being there. I just can't imagine life without her by my side. I, I want to continue to earn my right to call myself her husband. Because I know that we joke a lot. Like tomorrow she could look, look over and say, you know what? <laughs> nah. <laughs> I'm finished. It was a good run, though. <laughs> and so uh, that's the, the mindset. Like you, 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 in sports, you hear people talking about, I, I want to play. I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm an MVP, but I'm playing like I'm not going to make the team. And so I want to I continue to play like I'm not going to you know, make the team. Um, and, but again, just, just fortunate, blessed, um, to call her my wife. And there are many days where I just don't believe, I can't believe I have that opportunity. So that's, that's what I would tell her. Wow. I mean, I, I am not nearly as smart as Kurt. I'm not as poetic as Bob, not a rock star like the Thompsons. I asked Laura to marry me when I was in my 20s. I I didn't know what I was doing. I was lucky, luckiest guy in the world. I believe I'm the luckiest guy in the world. But here I am. I think I've got some wisdom now, a little bit, just a little bit. And I would I would say, Laura, I'd, I'd like to marry you again right now. So, I mean, I'm just the luckiest guy in the world. That's awesome. Y'all have to now wrap this up and <laughs> my eyes are burning and my I'm a little nasally. Um, but one, I want to say thank you all so much. You know, this has been a long episode, but I think it's been one that is a master class uh, in relationships. And I just want to reiterate just how much I respect you all and admire you as individuals, as professionals. I'm so glad to know you and be in your lives and be able to witness or participate in these amazing relationships. And thank you all for for spending some time with me this evening. Um, Again, I think it's going to really shed some light for a lot of people on on what they should be doing, what they should be expecting. And hopefully we'll get some good perspectives for people that are in search of the love that you all have. So thank you so much for being with me tonight. Thank you. Thanks, Jack, for bringing us all together. Thanks for listening to this episode of Diversity Beyond the Checkbox. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a moment to share it with a friend, leave a rating and review, 
and subscribe so you'll be reminded when new episodes are released. Become a part of our community on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. This show is proudly part of the Living Corporate Network and was edited and produced by Airfluence. I'm Jackie Ferguson. Take care of yourself and each other.